friends. First things first, I need to apologize because I lied to you. We are not going to be continuing on with short stories like I had promised at the end of the last season. Instead, I've decided to go ahead and start reading the final book in the Kingdom Face series. So that being said, welcome to chapter one of The King's Heir. Osail Priya, the Reckless Fairy Prince. I suppose that's always been a good descriptor for me. My sister was the refined and regal one of the three of us. As the oldest sibling, she should have been the heir to her father's throne. Fate had other plans. Elise was currently training to take our great-grandfather's place as chiefess of his small island tribe in Tahiti. I guess that fits her. Her blonde curls don't match the royal fae family's typical trademark appearance anyway. Not to mention, she'd been mated to an island native for the last nine years. My niece was by far my favorite person to dote upon. Though, I don't get to see her much. Elise said something about my being a bad influence the last time we spoke. Even my little brother, Titus, was ineligible for the throne, considering he would never produce an heir. He and his husband live a happily quiet life in the southern lowlands. The two of them decided to dedicate their lives to restoring the genetics and variety of Pixie. This also meant that they were personally invested in playing matchmaker between Pixies and Fay. It seemed to be going well for them. But as with Elise, I don't see much of my brothers. It's honestly safe to say that my life's a mess. I'd always been the mischievous sibling, playing pranks and acting out in stubborn defiance, but deep down, all I really wanted was to live up to our father's expectations. Now I'm sure his expectations of me were far higher than what I've become. As sole heir to our kingdom, you'd think I'd have a better sense of self-preservation, and perhaps a professional demeanor. Unfortunately, no. The fact that I'm an unmated adult fae has made what little of those traits I naturally had vanish altogether. Not only do Fay become restless and impulsive the longer they're unmated, I also have the bonus issue of being in constant pain. It's something that feels like drinking hot tea too fast, but my chest never stops burning. No one can figure out the cause, so therefore there is no way to stop it. As a result, I tend to have a short temper and lash out at others when they irritate me in the slightest. Fate, in all her cruelty, must have decided that the natural aversion to proper behavior, pain, and bad attitude weren't enough, because I also battle serious depression daily. I'm certain it's a side effect of the pain, but I wish I didn't have to experience it. It's awful, hating myself and everyone around me. These characteristics have caused many to label me as a toxic person. So yeah, I have loads of great friends by my side who understand me and help me work through the pain of just existing on a daily basis. I wish. I don't have a single friend my age. After I graduated from Spirewood Academy for Mages, the biggest failure of mine that even strangers will point out is that I should have been married and have at least one child by now. People have blatantly asked my parents if I'm too lazy to find my mate. A rumor even started that my mate was ashamed to be with me and rejected me. That's a fun party topic. 
people don't understand when I tell them that I can't even feel my mate. Every fae can feel the person they're meant to be with, so of course I must be lying. I have to be covering something up. Rather than feed the rumor mill, I just avoid the topic now. It's easier that way. At one time, I could feel her, though. I remember it as an oddly blissful feeling, like a warm hug that traveled with me everywhere. When I was 13, I thought I'd tracked her location down. Father had excitedly helped me plan a trip to the Highlands so that I could look for her as soon as I was done with school. However, shortly after that planning session, her warmth had vanished. The only thing I feel now is the pain. I had yet to tell my father, but I suspected she was dead. Telling him would only cause him to worry for me more than he already does. If she were dead, I suppose I could simply find someone else in a similar situation as me and mate them instead. The idea sounded repulsive even as I had it. I shook the thoughts of my misfortune from my head and concentrated on the task at hand. The bright mountain sun shone warmly on my face as I laid in the grass outside the once impressive royal palace. It had been over forty years since anyone had lived in the capital. Everything was overgrown and the buildings were now crumbling. Even the once impressive ornate marble palace was in ruin. Today was my twentieth birthday, and this place was my father's gift to me. I would instantly accepted the challenge hoping to use it as some distraction from the constant pain, and possibly prove to him that I could be a responsible adult. And <laughs> maybe to myself as well. As I closed my eyes and inhaled, the grass around me swayed, responding instantly to my magic. As I exhaled, it shrank down to a manageable size. I sank my fingertips into the soil, and the large vines that climbed the palace walls slithered away, reversing back into seeds. The free-seeding trees were next to vanish, leaving large cracks in the hand-hewn stone. I didn't destroy them, though. No, I simply moved them so that they lined the cracked cobblestone roadway that led to the palace. I may not be considered much of a landscaper, but I liked the idea of having a grand drive shaded in magnificent trees. I loved nature and I wanted this place to represent me to all who entered it. All people of magic have a speciality. My mother's is linkages, my father's is healing, Elise is good at potions, and Titus has a knack for working with beasts. My talent lies in nature, the manipulation of it to be specific. Creatures, plants, and even the earth respond to what I want. Creatures, plants, and even earth do what I want. I can grow roses in the dead of winter, make stone walls with a wave of a finger, and clean up the overgrowth of a dilapidated old palace in a single breath. My abilities are immense, to say the least. Father has preached endlessly about the moral responsibilities I need to maintain while using them. As a result, I rarely try to manipulate living creatures. But plants and earth were fair game as long as I didn't disrupt an ecosystem. Nicely done, O'Sale. Uncle Burke's boisterous voice boomed as his shadow blocked the sun's warmth from my face. But you forgot the massive tree that's growing in the courtyard. I folded my hands over my chest, not bothering to open my eyes or move in any other fashion. 
I didn't forget it. I like it. It stays. You're the boss, he chuckled. So let's venture inside and see what the damage is. Then you can tell me how you want it redone. Burke had retired from Uncle Edwin's royal guard four years ago to marry a pretty little thing he'd met at Titus's housewarming in the southern lowlands. Father said she was the only woman Uncle Burke had ever managed to stay faithful to. They'd been really good together. But fate decided to take her from him not long after their son was born. Father and I had both tried to help remove the virus from her. But Uncle Burke had waited too long to ask for help. Her soul had already departed by the time we'd arrived. He and his little boy jumped on the chance to come live with me in the mountains. I think they just wanted to get away from her memory. I couldn't blame him. I sighed, opened my eyes, and took his outstretched hand. I wanted just how it was when great-grandma lived here. So, just restore it? That should be easy enough. He planted his hands on his hips and gazed upon the once grand building. <laughs> Says the man with no magic. I laughed and clapped his shoulder. It's a dump, uncle. Well, all right then, smartass. He wrapped his giant arm around my shoulder. It's a dump. Doesn't mean we have to be pessimistic about it. Careful. I eyed him with a smile. You're using big words again. <laughs> You're just like your dad. He laughed and smacked my shoulders hard, knocking me forward a step. I'd seen him do the exact same thing to my father at least a million times. Hey, where's Bryce? I asked, looking around for my little cousin. The three-year-old boy was an absolute wild child. Uh, probably destroying something. Burke's tone switched from jovial to exhausted. I suppose we better go find him. A familiar blue pixie suddenly zipped past us. Annoyance instantly filled my body as I turned to see my dad, nose stuck in a ledger, stepping from a portal a few feet behind us. He paused for a moment before snapping the book closed and looking up, a ginormous smile creeping onto his face as he took in the freshly cleared castle. He wasn't supposed to be here for another week. Something must have happened. Looks better already! He hugged me tightly, then handed me the ledger. Here's your budget and the contractor contacts. I'd suggest getting the old passes reopened so they can come in. I was a little annoyed that he had done exactly what he promised he wouldn't. <laughs> Not to sound ungrateful, Dad, but I kind of wanted to do this myself. The smile faded from his face and he sighed. I know you did. But I need you to investigate something for me that's happening in the Western Plains. What on earth could be happening out there? Sentient tumbleweeds wreaking havoc on local cacti? I shoved my annoyance aside and handed the ledger to Burke. The man had completely forgotten about his misplaced child in order to eavesdrop upon our conversation. Not quite. Normally, Dad would laugh at such a comment. The grim expression on his face told me that whatever was about to come out of his mouth was going to be serious. There have been reported sightings of ghouls raiding village markets in the middle of the night. I'm sorry, what? Burke nearly choked on the immense burst of air he inhaled. For as tough as he was, he was a bit of a chicken when it came to creatures of superstitious origin. Torkin landed on my father's shoulder as Trift, his much smaller emerald green son, landed on mine. Ghouls. Undead creatures that typically feed off the souls of the living. 
not something that belongs in this realm. Trift finished his father's thought. This investigation is beginning to sound fun. So you want me to check it out? What happens if it really is a ghoul? Dad shrugged. Then I'll leave it to a nail to deal with. Dead things aren't really under our jurisdiction. I'd rather have a nail than that nasty angelic that came to help Titus with the pixie souls. I shuddered at the memory of having to deal with the snobby man. Dad laughed. <laughs> no kidding. You'd have thought we'd asked him to cut his wings off. Oh, I remember him. He was worse than Edwin on a bad hair day. Burke bent down to pick up his son, who had just smacked him in the shins with a large stick. The comment made me chuckle. Picturing my rather prissy uncle in a bad mood was always entertaining. I placed my hands firmly on my hips and addressed my father with enthusiasm. So, when do I leave? As soon as you clear the passes. Dad gave me a warm smile and motioned for me to head towards the west. I decided to start in the east. I decided to start in the east. As we walked, I paid close attention to he and Torkin's conversation. Owen, the pixie asked. Was it ever confirmed what happened to the bodies that were here after the war? Yes, father spoke quietly. There's a graveyard to the north. Neighboring villages came in and buried everyone, marking the graves with stones. Some have names, but most don't. At least they were buried. Torkin sounded sad. I knew he'd been involved in the war, but I'd never heard him talk about it before. As we came to the end of the broken stone road, it was easy to see that the mountains had been disrupted with an unnatural force. Stone holds memory, so this was going to be an insightful venture. I slipped my shoes off and stood in the grass beside the road to get a better connection to the earth. Taking a deep breath, I tried to prepare myself for whatever horrid thing I was about to see. I focused my magic and raised my hands slightly, feeling the warmth of the earth's energy melding with my own, ready to do as I commanded. The chaotically piled rock began to shift and pitch, defying gravity as it morphed back into the mountainsides. I was surprised to see a familiar dark red energy swirling about the rubble as it moved. Inail was an ally. Why would her magical signature be here? She wasn't acting of her own desire. Torkin saw the question on my face as I returned the last stone to its rightful place. I simply nodded and headed north. To my shock, the demon's energy was there, too. I made a note to ask Father about her involvement in the war later. When we reached the western pass, I'd fully expected to see more of the same. But as my energy moved into the ground, a massive and translucent blue dragon erupted from the rubble. I heard Torkin hiss at the beast from his place on my father's shoulder. His reaction told me that he'd seen this monster before. I'm sure seeing it again brought back horrible memories. The creature roared and blasted us with energy, making my father and Torkin shout out in surprise. I didn't have to turn to know that he'd placed a protective barrier upon himself. I knew my dad like the back of my hand. Trift and I just laughed. Chill out! My pixie turned on my shoulder to look at them. It's a memory. It has no real power. Torkin grumbled inaudibly and father laughed, comforting him with kind words. Dad was always kind, even during diplomatic arguments. He could silence a room with a calm tone and somehow everyone felt happy. Well, unless I opened my mouth, <laughs> I was usually the one starting the arguments he had to quell. 
We headed to the south next. This pass was technically open, but the bridge had been destroyed. Altering materials that were created by others was far trickier than simply commanding a raw material to obey, especially when it involves stone. Since stone holds memories, reconstructing something like the bridge meant releasing the memories of every individual stone. Not only would that drain my energy completely, it would also take hours, and I had a portal to catch. Rather than fix the bridge, I simply made a new one, arcing fresh stone over the remnants. I dusted my hands of imaginary dirt and turned to my dad expectantly. What now? Now? He wrapped his arm around me, pushing his glasses up on his nose. We get you packed and ready to go. I've asked Mora to accompany you. Lena will also be there, but she's been in the area for about a month now. The locals called her in when the creatures were first spotted. Don't trust me to do this on my own? I couldn't hide my irritation. I have full faith in you, Osail. He gave my shoulder a light squeeze as we walked. And I trust you to use the knowledge of others as a resource. Aside from that, Alfred said he has a fresh batch of medicine for you. I let my annoyance die, wrapping my arm around his back and leaning into him. Thank God. Trying to manage on my own for the last two days has been awful. Dad rubbed my shoulders and pulled me in tighter, not saying a word. He didn't have to. The pained expression on his face told me all of his thoughts. As we neared the palace, Torkin leapt from Dad's shoulder, standing on the ground in the center of the broken road. The three of us stared at him in confusion as he walked to a nearby spot and sat down, wrapping his arms about his legs and letting his wings droop into the dirt. I looked at Trift and he nodded, taking flight to check on him. My little pixie examined his father carefully before speaking to him in their native tongue. After a few short exchanges, Trift flew back to my shoulder, a melancholy look on his face. Well? Dad asked him. He wants to be left alone, Trift nearly whispered. Says that's where his friend died. Burke promised to have the palace in tip-top shape by the time I returned, and Bryce had promised not to take an axe to my tree in the courtyard. I gave them both a hug and turned to my dad. I'm not sure how he managed it. But he always seemed to look both proud and worried at the same time whenever he sent me on official trips. I hugged him and promised not to cause too much trouble. Not that I could hurt much in the western plains. It was a desert. Trift returned to my side as the portal opened and we stepped through. The change from high altitude and humid climate to low and arid gave me an instant migraine. I didn't understand how my dad could travel like that so effortlessly. No matter where he went, he was always perfectly fine. I shifted the duffel bag on my shoulder, careful not to disturb my pixie too much, stuffed my hands into the pockets of my slacks, and walked through the small town. People of magic bowed and humans smiled, waving excitedly as we passed. I returned their smiles and tried my best to acknowledge each one of them. We're almost to the end. Try that again. Being a royal was exhausting for a normal person. Having a mental handicap made all the attention excruciating. You're almost to the end, Trift whispered encouragingly. Just keep going and don't bite off anyone's head. My head sounds so tasty right now. I retorted sarcastically and he laughed. He'd had to put up with me his entire life. He was my best friend and I felt so sorry for him. I wouldn't want to be bonded to someone like me.
How he managed to stay so jovial on a daily basis was beyond me. I know he felt my pain, just as I could feel his emotions. Right now, he radiated a mixture of excitement and concern. When we entered the hotel, I asked for their best room before heading to the dining room. Dad had said Lena would be waiting for me there. I dropped my bag and stood with my hands on my hips, addressing the group, my irritation flaring instantly. What's going on? Happy birthday! Alfred held up his glass of ale jovially, and the rest of the group sang out in the same praise. I wasn't buying it. This was a poor choice of situation to throw a party, regardless of the day. Well, this is unexpected. Trift whispered, and I hummed in agreement. Dad didn't think I could do this, so he'd sent back up. Lena stood and moved to give me a hug. Come, I'll tell you everything that's happened. I rolled my eyes and grabbed the strap of my duffel bag, dragging it over to their table like a child about to throw a tantrum. As I sat, Alfred rolled a vial of dark orange liquid towards me. I couldn't drink it fast enough. When I first tasted the bitter potion, I despised it, but now I seemed to crave it. I sighed in relief as my pain lessened and the melancholy left me. I blinked a few times and shook my head, trying to adjust to the new sensation of inner calm. No one said a word. They'd seen it a hundred of times. They'd seen it hundreds of times. So, <clears throat> I cleared my throat and looked around the table on older and wiser people. Uh, tell me about these ghouls. I can't wait till you see one of these things, O'Sale. Esta sipped his beer, his expression uncharacteristically grim. They're unlike anything I've ever seen. They're not ghouls. Lena shook her head. I'm not entirely sure what they are. Evan chewed his ghostly thumbnail. They're not even dead. Well, not entirely anyway. Something has bound their souls to the earth, but their bodies are empty. If we could find their souls, we could probably reverse whatever's happened to them. Maybe. Lena spoke with quiet urgency. What I wouldn't give to catch one. I think there's more to them than just having their souls taken. They move like vampires, yet their magic is fey. This tidbit piqued my interest. So what's your plan to catch them? Well, it was me, Carlin scowled. But the damn things can walk through a magical barrier without any issue. They also don't fall for deceptions. It's like they can see right through them. And that, I sat back, is exactly why Dad sent me, isn't it? They looked around at each other, Mora speaking for the group. More or less, he's a bit upset with us for not being able to eliminate the issue in a timely manner. So, you're also crowd control. I was called out here by the locals, Lena admitted. But when I first saw these things, I knew there was nothing I could do. I also knew that a nail wouldn't touch the issue. She got in enough trouble from all the crap that happened the last time she was in this realm. So I called your father for advice. And what did he tell you, dear? Alfred eyed his wife smugly. She sighed and looked at me. That I need to talk to you. Now I've waited too long and caused panic among the locals. I looked about for the first time and realized that the dining area was completely empty aside from our table. 
I thought about the walk into town. I hadn't imagined it. The people had been overly excited to see me. They also seemed to be rushing to get places. I leaned back into my seat so I could see the entrance of the hotel. The sun was already starting to set. How many of them are there? When did they appear? Trift asked the questions that were on my mind. Three, and usually around midnight. Evan spoke. I eyed him for a moment. Why aren't you at the school? No wonder Mom's been complaining about her workload. She hadn't. I just felt like being rude. Nice try, Osail. He scowled at me. It just so happens that your mother is the one who suggested I come out here. Your Highness, the hotel host approached me, bowing as he handed me a room key. Your room is ready. I'm sorry for the wait. Our staff had already left by the time you'd arrived. <laughs> no worries, I assured him. I imagine it's been a bit chaotic around here as of late. He smiled feebly. Yes, sir. It has indeed. I do hope you can help us. I flashed him a dazzling smile. I'll try my best. Thank you. He bowed quickly and turned to leave. The whole table watched as he scurried away. Anything else I should know? I asked, tipping my chair back on two legs. What have these things been doing? They mostly wander the streets without a particular goal, Lena spoke. But sometimes they steal rare herbs from the market. Anyone that has interacted with them ends up badly wounded. But they have yet to kill anyone. That's odd. I let my chair fall, leaning on the table and thought. My head was beginning to throb again. They must have some purpose. My violent mood swings no longer shocked me, but I did feel bad for those that had to deal with them. I knew Carlin hadn't meant any offense by his statement, but that didn't stop me from getting angry. I scoffed at the table of older people. Maybe I just wanted to hang out with all you old farts for a while. I spat as I turned. I haven't seen most of you in months, but hey, why not spend my birthday alone in a strange place? Maybe one of these creepy monsters will sneak in and eat me. Good night, you bunch of freaks. I ignored their protests, grabbing my bag and swinging it over my shoulder with little too much force as I left. Why did I have to act like this? I knew it was wrong, and I had no control over it. Osail, Triff sighed as we walked. That was a bit much. Having Dad tell me he trusts me to do a job, and then arriving to find nearly his entire advisory board here is a bit much. I spat as I climbed the stairs. I could have taken the elevator, but physical exertion always seemed to help calm my temper. I understand your frustration. Trift decided to hover next to me rather than being jostled around as I climbed. But maybe this is bigger than what we think. If they can't handle it, then there's a serious issue. Did you listen to what they said? These ghouls sound complicated. Yes, I sighed as I reached the top floor. I was listening to them. They weren't listening to me. I wanted to keep talking with them, and they shot it down instantly. Osail, Trift groaned. You didn't give them a chance. You can't lie to me. I know you wrote them off the second you walked into that dining room. I quietly mocked him, hating myself for acting so childish but unable to stop. When we exited the stairwell, Alfred was patiently waiting outside my door. He must have seen the number on the key as the host handed it to me. I wanted to be mad at him, 
but I recognized the box he held instantly. I walked up to him without a word, and he handed me the box. I walked up to him without a word, and he handed me the medicine before looking me over, gently examining my tired eyes before pushing up my shirt sleeve. Finding no fresh scars, he nodded. How long have you been taking double doses? How'd you know? It was literally the stupidest question I could ask him. Osale, <laughs> that supply I gave you two weeks ago should have lasted the entire month. His tone was soft and caring. I know you're in pain, but please, don't take any more than one a day. They're already formulated way beyond the maximum limit. Doubling up could kill you. I laughed as I stuck my key in the doorknob. Maybe I should take three, then. Before I understood what was happening, Alfred had me pinned against the door. His drawn wand held my pissed-off pixie captive in a box of barriers. He leaned in close to me, and I could see the tears in his eyes. His voice wavered as he spoke. Knock it off. Your life has a value, Osail. Not just to the future of this realm, but to your family and your friends. You're sick, and we're trying to help you. But you need to let us. I shoved him off and opened the door. You can't help me. Not unless you know where my maid is. She's the only one that can make this pain go away, and you know that. Alfred flicked his spell away and grabbed me again. But this time he pulled me in for a hug, whispering quietly as he held me. Please, Osail, only take one a day. I gave in and wrapped my arms around him. Alfred and Lena had been there for me since before I could remember. They were basically my second set of parents. I had no right to lash out at them. He gave me a tight squeeze and I buried my face into his shoulder. I promise, Uncle Alfred. Good. He rubbed my back with one hand, still pulling me in tightly with the other. I told your dad I gave you a short batch last time. But I'm not covering for you again. Got it. I nodded into his shoulder, feeling like a complete asshole. Why did I hurt the ones I loved with my recklessness? He patted my shoulders once and then pulled away, swiping at his eyes as he cleared his throat to speak. Get some rest while you can. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's gonna be a long night. I sniffed and nodded, heading into my room. I flicked on the light, leaning against the cool, thick wood as I willed my scrambled mind to just be quiet for once. Whenever I experienced confrontation with someone I cared about, my mental health took an immediate dive. The scars on my arms were proof of every fight I'd ever gotten into with my friends or family. I shook the urge to find something sharp from my mind and opened the box with my hand, taking out a vial. Osail, Trift begged from his place on my shoulder. You promised. I bit the inside of my cheek and stared at the deep orange liquid. I knew I shouldn't break the promise I'd made literally seconds ago, but taking the medicine was a far safer alternative to what my mind was telling me to do. My hand shook as I took the cork out and knocked it back. I just wanted the pain to go away.
And that concludes chapter one of The King's Heir. I hope you enjoyed this reading, and I hope you'll return next week for chapter two. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.